I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this is Pushback Talks. So this time we're going to play it really simple because I've been sick and I'm tired and we know we, there is no energy to complicate things. So I'm going to ask you really basic things. Okay, I think I'm up for it. Leilani Farah, you were, you were the UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing. I was for six long years. So what's so special with you? <laughs> <laughs> I never really considered myself very special, but that was the name of the role. I was appointed by the UN. And now when you left the job, you're, you're no more special. Definitely not. Definitely not special. Ask my kids. Shall I tell you a secret? Sure. I think you're special. Oh, so nice. Uh, well, that's I why I special. do this pod with you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you've been out with your dog again, and it's garbage day today. So it's, I guess it's one of the most complicated things in Canada when the dogs are sniffing the... Do you yes. only have one day for garbage? Or is that in your, just in your area? You know what? We have one day a week for garbage where everyone puts it out on the, you know, the curb. Uh, but every second week is garbage. So you can't put out garbage every week. This is trying to control waste. I guess it's a good thing. Um, and then every one week you put out paper recycling. One week you put out plastic bottles recycling. And if you do wrong? They won't pick it up. And then you get, they put this notice, a bright notice that you are delinquent okay, and on your bin. Yeah. Today, um, we're going to talk about a campaign that is happening within the United Nation. I mean, you worked for, for the UN. Sort of, yeah. And, but this is the UN Habitat. Yeah, UN Habitat. So what is that? Who are they? Who are they? Well, this Why is a big they? deal in a bunch of uh, for a bunch of different reasons. So first of all, UN Habitat is the agency within the United Nations system that's responsible for what they call human settlements, which is barrios, uh, neighborhoods, uh, housing of all different kinds and sorts around the world. They have mostly focused in the global south. But what's so cool is they are doing this get your housing right campaign. And what I like about it is UN Habitat hasn't always embraced the right to housing, but they're really moving in that direction now. And that's super cool. And I think I always thought they should be very focused on the right to housing because they're the UN agency for housing. And and to the listeners, uh, if you talk to Leilani and you don't respect the right to housing, try to walk out of the room and come back and try try a new entry, you know, because it's it's a mistake to enter and say, hey, the right to the city. What do you mean? There is no right to the city. Can you explain all this? Why are why is this so important? It's language. It's just words. It's just words. That's a great starting point. Yes. Well, you and I, Frederick, when we were uh, in the midst of, uh, well, you were making push and following me around, uh, we had this discussion, didn't we, about the right to the city versus the right to housing. The right to the city is very important, and it's it, it's a mobilizing force, and there are groups that are really working hard to use the notion of the right to the city to, to move forward other human rights. My issue with it is only that 
you don't find the right to the city in an international treaty that governments have signed on to. Mm. They've ratified that they have legal obligations to uphold. But you do find the right to housing in a whole bunch of international human rights treaties, and governments have committed to holding themselves accountable to that treaty. But isn't that all? I mean, I I think it all sounds amazing (laughs) that governments have signed on to things, but it, it seems like most governments even... They don't even know that they sign on to the paper. So does it really matter? Yeah, I think most governments uh, don't have a sense. I think governments know that they've signed and ratified all this stuff. I don't think they know what it means. But it is important because how else will we hold governments accountable? If we can't at least put in their face something that they signed, they ratified, they said they were committed to. If we just say, oh, you have a moral obligation just generally, do you think that's per- more persuasive? Uh, you're asking me? Yeah, I am asking you. <laughs> yeah, a man of the world. I, no, I think moral is important, but I guess uh, if somebody signs something, it means it means a difference. It's like it's like uh, if a company goes out and says we are the green alternative, and then we found out that the green alternative is actually uh, it's just greenwashing, it's just bullshit. Yeah. Then you you can hold them accountable because they actually said that they are green. So I think if a government signed on to to the right to housing, and if they're they're not really f- fulfilling it, you could you could tell them, hey, come on, you haven't done your job. Exactly, and you you're house washing yourself. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Well, I think you know, I think a good parallel, Frederick, is the Paris Agreement, which is the big climate change agreement that governments from around the world have signed on to, and then of course some have rescinded, uh, like the United States under Donald. Trump, they walked away from the Paris Agreement. But the agreement is what people often use to hold governments accountable to uh, lower emissions, for example, right? There's targets that are part of that agreement. There are similar treaties that apply in the area of housing. People just don't talk about them as much as the Paris Agreement. So Leilani, you were the the former special rapporteur on adequate housing, and now you're the global director of the shift. Uh, an organization we see the birth of in in PUSH, which is like cool. I was there both in Barcelona and New York. Uh, I I was a man of the world. Now I'm also a man (laughs) of my own little bunker, (laughs) as we (laughs) all are. (laughs) But anyway, um, I have a memory of the world outside. But anyway, if we go really basic, what is the right to housing? Can you can you just give it me very short in a sentence? It's the right to live in peace with security and dignity. That's it. That's the best definition and I love that definition because you can then easily think Okay, you walk along the street and you see someone who's living on the pavements on a sidewalk whether it's in Delhi or San Francisco and you know right away Okay, that person doesn't have a toilet that person doesn't have a shower. Can they live in dignity? Answer, no. Is it a violation of the right to housing? Answer, yes. So simple. But so that also means that if you're living with a one month contract or one week contract or whatever, then you are not really in peace and security, I guess. Perfect. I think I'm a good teacher. That's exactly right. Because you don't have security if you think, oh, no, next month I could be evicted. 
right? What kind of security is that? It's not it's not enough. And we in fact, any study on evictions shows any research shows how incredibly um, stressful it is to not know if you're going to still have a home in a month or two months or even three months. Um, so and and then if we think Frederick to all the work we've done on financialization and what we mm. know about financialization is it's driving the rents up. And that, just that driving the rents up creates, we we saw, we filmed, we talked to so many residents who were feeling the real stress of Hmm. their rent is going up, their rent is going up or could go up. And that creates insecurity that would also not be compliant with the right to housing. But now you're again using very complicated (laughs) language, (laughs) financialization. Mm -hmm. What's that? Financialization is where housing is used as a place to park, grow, leverage, or hide big money. How's that? You're, you are special. You it was are pretty special. good. That was pretty good. Yeah. that's And it's kind of... We can unpack it's, it. It's some kind of reporting of this. So you're a special reporter. That's oh, what special the reporting. Term? I, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I no, never... no, no. No, no. This was what you... When you did this was special... I was, oh, I was know. special reporting. I like yeah. that. It was good. So I good. went from being the special rapporteur to being yeah. the special reporter. Yeah. Cool. See? You're I coming like that up. Role. This right to housing, where that, where do, where do, where do we have this? Yeah, I mean, it really is in international treaties. So everyone will know about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Most people have heard of that UDHR. It's referred to. No, don't give the short words. That's okay. that's the or, Universal. That's that's De- NGO-ish. Okay. Don't never. That's like <laughs> NGO-ish is forbidden. NGO means non-governmental organization, and they have their own language, which is like it's created to keep people out because they are doing so much money in that business. Sorry, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Anyway, but they they have a language that is very internal and doesn't really travel well. So don't go there, please. I won't go there. So the Universal Declaration of Human Rights which was, it's really old, it's from 1948. It comes out of World War Two, and a recognition that we needed to, at that time, assert that there is this thing called the human family, and that what binds us all together is our mutual dignity. And it was an assertion that certain things are required for the human family to live in a kind of peaceful way and in an, in and with dignity. And one of the things that gets mentioned in it is that everyone should have the right to an adequate standard of living, which would include the right to adequate housing. So that's the very first time it gets iterated at that international level. I mean, if you told, uh, let's say, Donald Trump or Uh other people, they would call this is like, yeah, this is communism, you know. (laughs) Um, But I guess it was signed by... Yeah, so the declaration was the world coming together. So it was many, many, many countries. But they didn't... That was a political commitment. It wasn't a legal commitment. After 1948, in the 60s, the, the international community started to write 
treaties that governments would sign and ratify and make that legal commitment. So the main one for housing is called, are you ready? It's long. Oh, my God. Yeah. The oh International God. Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights. That's a complicated yeah, one. Now you know why we it. use short forms in the NGO world. What is covenant? Yeah, so covenant. a covenant, you can just pla replace that word with treaty. So it's okay. just like ah. a treaty. Yeah. International treaty of what? Economic, social, and cultural rights. So it, mm. it includes housing, okay. but it includes a lot more, like health, education. Mm. Um, now we read into it water, um, food, uh, employment and labor standards and rights. Uh, so, okay. yeah, that's the go-to. So, but then all governments in the world signed on? Not all. Not all. Many. More than, I don't know, 170 or something like that. So who, But who, who didn't? Who didn't? Guess. Biggest country that didn't. Um, you think uh, uh, China? No. China did. Uh, 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 Soviet Union? I think Russia did. Um, India? India? <laughs> Definitely did. <laughs> uh-huh. So what's more, Greenland? No, that's like it's, it belongs to Denmark. No, yeah. Denmark did. So what? Denmark Sweden did, yeah. did. Sweden did, okay. Big, a country that considers itself the leader of the free world. Oh, Canada. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's your country. So why didn't you sign? No, no, Canada signed. The United oh, States didn't sign. What? Yeah, the United States hasn't signed, hasn't ratified the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. Crazy. Not even under Clinton and Obama or, you know. Correct. AOC, congresswoman who's very progressive, many of the listeners Alexandria will know who she is. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Correct. From the Bronx, yeah. Correct. She yeah. has been pushing uh, that the United States really embrace social and economic rights, and that would include ratifying that international covenant. So, From the 60s. Yeah, from the 60s. I think in Canada we ratified it in 75. I don't know when it became available for ratification, maybe in the 70s. Um, so I think we were one of, Canada was one of the first to uh, ratify yeah. it, if, I, if I'm correct. I, you mean before Sweden? Oh, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> But it, and, and the Brits? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the UK has, has uh, signed and ratified as well. Great. So yeah. you can all be proud, you Commonwealth countries. You poor yeah. Brits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What a mess. And North Korea? We don't know. South Korea certainly has, because I visited there. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to check, you know, I don't know. Then the point is that most governments kind of forgot that they signed it, so it doesn't really make any big difference. Because also, in your country, I've been, I've been walking the streets of Toronto many times, and seeing an insane amount of people sleeping rough. Yeah. So there's a huge gap. There's a huge gap between what we know to be the standards under international human rights law and what happens on the ground in countries around the world. Def definitely. Mm. I mean, in our lingo, we call it the implementation gap, a gap in implementation. Who is then responsible for this implementation gap? 
Yeah, government. Did I pronounce? Pro- pro- you implement, did. Implementation implement, gap. Implement, yeah. Okay, good. I'm expanding your English. Uh, I'm Swedish, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Poor you. No, uh, yeah, one yeah. should never feel sorry for, for Swedes. You've got it good. You've got it good. Uh, mostly. Uh, so governments are responsible for implementing um, the right to housing. And that's what I love about international human rights laws. Super clear. Governments are accountable to people. That's it. And it doesn't mean other actors don't have human rights obligations, but governments are responsible for making sure those other actors, uh, who might I be thinking of, thing people like or entities like Blackstone, governments have to make sure that anyone engaged in the area of housing... For people who haven't listened before, Blackstone is the, the world's biggest uh, private equity fund. So they are like basically... A monster with too much money. That's right. And they are very front and center in the housing and real estate sector. Uh, so governments have since, to do what's necessary. Eight years back. Yes. Yeah. And they are shaking the world. That's right. By pushing up uh, the rents for people who don't make more money now than before. But they have to pay more. A bigger chunk of their small salary to people who already have too much. That's right. Yeah. And so governments should be doing something about that because governments have that responsibility to implement the right to housing. So does this does this then mean that the government uh, have to provide a house to everyone? No. Okay. There is this. I've I've read in the newspaper there is Canadian UN lady says there is a there is a right to housing. So come on, give me a house. Can you do that to your government? Yeah. So when I went to India, right, country of what, 1.3 billion people, one of the the second largest country in the world, soon maybe to be the largest country in the world. uh, That is exactly what they were asking me, laughing, like, seriously, you think that, that, that this is cool, that people can just ask us? We've got a big country, we're not that wealthy, etc. So no, that's in fact not exactly what the right to housing means. And that's going to disappoint some people. It doesn't mean you can just let homelessness go and let, let you know, thousands and millions of people be homeless. There's, you know, probably 150 million people worldwide who are homeless. So that's not cool. And, and under the right to housing, governments have to do something about that quickly. And they have to take immediate steps to, to address homelessness. So in that way, I suppose, people living in homelessness can be demanding something more than what they have. But it doesn't mean that everyone can just, you know, oh, you know, my apartment's kind of a little too small for me. I'm going to go knock on the government door and demand a house and I'll get it under the right to housing. That's not how it works. Um, We have this notion, it's really another ugly word, but we talk about that it, it can happen progressively. Over time, governments have to be taking steps, but they have to be taking steps. They can't sit back, drink coffee, put their feet up and eat croissant. They have to actually take steps all the time to make housing better for people who need better housing. Mm. Now, now, now I remember a lunch in Copenhagen. Oh, the, yeah. the, the Canadian yeah. embassy invited you and me to a lunch around the premiere of, of, the, of Push in Copenhagen. Yeah. And they also had invited a lot of Danish real estate business, Correct. including Blackstone. 
uh, which meant that well, there was one place empty around the table <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't come. That's right. <laughs> you know, I wonder why they didn't come. They had said yes, but then I guess then they have read a newspaper the same day or That's something. Right. Yeah. So they were not allowed to come from the New York said, no, no, don't go. That's right. But then there was a guy sitting beside you saying, yeah, but is it a human right to demand uh, an, an apartment in the middle of Copenhagen? And you looked a little bit tired. <laughs> when, I guess that's something you hear over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. So the first thing to say is that when someone is living in an apartment or a rental of some sort in a city where they want to be living and it's close to their work and their family and their favorite cafe and all of that, they they should be entitled to stay there, yes, under international human rights law. And by that I mean you can't just like be raising their rents and make it impossible for them to live there. That's not cool and that's not compliant with the right to housing. Because um, that goes against the security and, and exactly. safety. Exactly. Uh. One of the key things that we say about housing uh, under human rights laws that it has to be affordable. And that that's actually a human rights standard that it has to be affordable. And affordable is not, we don't measure it based on what can the market bear. You base it on what a household can afford. And mostly people say, you know, you shouldn't spend more than 30% of your income on rent or housing payments. And so affordability is really key alongside that security. You have to view them together. So that's that's how I, if I recall, I was probably not quite as um, gentle with the fellow sitting beside me at that lunch. Um, I remember it was such a beautiful lunch. It was such a beautiful room, and he was kind of ruining it with his um, questions. Uh, but anyway, that's part of it. The other part is, well, you know how society works. Most jobs are in cities. The one's ability to make a living and provide for a family and all of that happens in cities. And so people go to cities because they need to be employed. So in that way, if, if that's the only option for people, then of course you do have to make cities affordable for people. Like you can't assume, oh, well, people, if you can't afford to live in the city, don't live in the city. Well, wait a second. But on the other hand, I mean, if we... Look at Copenhagen today, for example. Yeah. There is no human right to say, I have the right to get a flat in the middle of town. There is not. No. No. But then you could say, I live in the center of Copenhagen and you don't have the right to kick me out. Correct. So that's kind of, uh, there is some kind of protection in that. That's right. Exactly. Um, because what we see in Push, we see, I mean, we see it in, in, in Kensington, in, in London, for example, where and Notting Hill, where the old the community that's built the culture of, of, of Notting Hill, the carnival and everything, they're all being pushed away. That's right. And when you talk about London, when you're pushed away, you're pushed one or two hours train ride away. And if you still have family in, in your community, you get it's a very strong separation from your uh, grandparents or parents or, you know, friends and family. So it's... It's a tough thing. You know what, Frederick? I want to I want to push us a little bit further, and we both like push. So I'm going to push us further. I don't think it's cool in terms of human rights to create cities that exclude certain groups of people. So 
while I can't say you have the right to demand an apartment in the center of Copenhagen or Amsterdam or wherever, Barcelona, I do think it's contrary to human rights to allow cities to develop in a way that excludes entire groups of people, low-income people, young people, migrants and refugees, right? And so... And there is a way that financialization, for example, is creating cities that are impossible for people, though those groups of people, for example, to live in, people with disabilities as well. All anyone with low income or lower income and would find it difficult to to find a place in a city to live that they can afford. And that's problematic. And and I think we do have to put that in the basket of a human rights concern. Who wants to live in cities that aren't diverse, first of all, right? No, I, I live in a very diverse neighborhood. And, exactly. And I love the energy of that. Of mm-hmm. course, there's comes sometimes with a lot of problems, but it's, but I, I, I love the, I, I love it. I still love it a lot. Mm-hmm. Special rapporteur on adequate housing. There are so many boring words I, in your in your world. I mean, how can you even bear or be and you you use these words all the time. Don't you get bored to death? Adequate. <laughs> what is what is adequate? I mean, can you can you put let's see, we're doing a James Bond film. Let's put okay. adequate in you know in the title of James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. James uh, Bond and the adequate and then Just no don't. no one's going to see that film. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's so, not put it in the title, but I can tell you what adequate is. And you're right. There I mean, this is not sexy stuff. And part of my job, both as rapporteur and now as global director of the shift, is to make this stuff meaningful and interesting. And I I admit it's not always easy and sometimes I have to find funny friends. And colleagues who can make it more interesting. <laughs> I'm your funny friend. You're my funny friend. And you're my advocate. Yes. You're my okay. special, special advocate. Okay, so... So what makes housing ad- adequate? No, 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 but what is advocate? What is, <laughs> yeah. what is it? Yeah. And adequate is defined as with the following characteristics. You don't have adequate housing if you don't have security. We already talked about that. You don't mm-hmm. have adequate housing if your housing is unaffordable and increasingly unaffordable. But there's also basic things like for, you know, think about people in the global south in particular, many, many people living in informal settlements. That's where they can't afford the formal market. They can't afford a formal apartment or to buy a house. And so they create their own communities. Some of the most amazing communities I've been to, in fact, vibrant and just incredible and very well organized. And um, But often informal settlements are denied by governments basic services, water, mm. sanitation, electricity. Mm. I mean, it's just amazing. In the age of cell phones, you can imagine how important, I mean, not just because you need light, but you also need power to generate these cell phones, etc. So um, services. I've I've been to many informal settlements Mm. around the world in my life. Remember, do you remember the one we went to in, I think it was, was it in Valparaiso? One somewhere in Chile, and it was um, the homes were amazing. I yeah. w- I remember walking into one home, and the family had put in place these incredible tiles, and I mean it was 
Oh, it, it was, was just a neighbor town of, of Valparaiso. It right. was Viña del Mar, That's up right. in the hills. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it was so amazing. It's very interesting because Chile is the people living in in settlement settlements are so well organized. Absolutely. In every yeah. little part of the, of the neighborhood, they had their own committees. They had their own cultural house. Yeah. They were electing a president of this community of yeah. I don't know. 20 families or more, but I mean, it was, and they were like talking to the city, we need some pavement here so we can, we don't get That's stuck right. when it rains. And yeah. it was like, it was, it's, it's impressive. In not, you know, now during COVID in Chile, these communities are organizing um, the, the cook together. Right. Yeah. They cook together because it, they are under so much pressure because, you know, all these people are a part of the informal economy. Yeah. They're not allowed to leave home, so they can't make any money at all. So in order to survive now, they're cooking together and trying to make it. So it's, it's, it's very strong. That's amazing. Basic. Yeah. It's, and I've heard the same in Brazil, that some of the informal settlements that are very intact. I mean, the barrios mm-hmm. in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in Brazil are very well developed and they're doing amazing things, providing their own healthcare services, as you say, sharing food, just um, amazing. But what what's happening with so many informal settlements is they're they're because they're informal, and by that it means often they're set up on public lands, so the people often don't own the land where they set up their homes and governments move to evict them and for that's what we call forced eviction it's one of the um, biggest violations of the right to housing it's happening like you know every minute of every day a community is threatened with forced eviction um, and that also contravenes the right to housing under international human rights law okay so hashtag get your housing rights Hashtag get your housing right. Hashtag get your housing right. <laughs> so that is the campaign of uh, the UN Habitat that is ongoing right now, I think. That's right, yep. And I think until it runs until November 8th, but of course it can run forever. It can run forever. And uh, UN Habitat have their the main headquarter in Nairobi, is it, in Kenya? That's right. And then they have a, a presence in New York as well. Yeah. Really wish them... Good luck with their work, and uh, and I hope they, you UN Habitat friends out there, will also spread the pushback talks, and and hope you get to see Push because it's easy. You just go to pushthefilm.com, and if you want to show the film uh, for communities or special screenings or you know in groups on Zoom and so on, talk to us and we can help you to, to organize screenings. It's all possible. Is it, is it that you can download it in Africa and Asia now? The film, Push? Of course. Great. Yeah, it's been for, it's, yeah, yeah. No, right. right now, Push, the film can be seen all over the world. Amazing. It's on Vimeo via pushthefilm.com and in the U.S., with a special other uh, provider, but then go to the same webpage. There will you can read about how to get a film in the U.S. Great. Of course, I'm the filmmaker, <laughs> uh, but it's the, the whole idea is to to make a film that works as a tool to to conversation. Yeah, and it's been happening all all over the world. The film's been screened, and Frederick and I, well, you know, we've done a million panels, but 
community groups are using it and doing their own actions around the film. There's a, a big meeting in Europe happening where actually they were using pushback talks to set the tone of the yeah. of the convening um, housing and homelessness groups from Europe. So I think it's an amazing tool. I hope people yeah. will use it. It's cool. And now we've been talking about like the, in a very simple way, you've been trying to explain your language. Do you feel that you've given us all or do you want to it's a taste it's a taste (laughs) (laughs) there's so much to say i mean there is a global housing crisis and there's so many manifestations of violations of the right to housing in every country around the world north south west east Uh, that sounds depressing it's depressing it is depressing so where's the hope you know where the hope is and we still need to do a podcast on this. I'm seeing so much uprising of tenants and people living in homelessness claiming their human rights and really using that language now. It's becoming very common to see, you know, a community group, grassroots movement fighting against being driven out of their cities, driven out of their homes and and saying, "Hey, we have a human right to housing." And what what about governments and cities? Are they are they all hopeless? Not at or, all. Or, or Not there at are all. some inspirational people out there. Absolutely, and of course, I I'm, you know I draw inspiration from so many cities, in particular around the world, and mayors really leading the charge. I think the mayor of Malma, where you are, Frederick, is very engaged with the right to housing, and she's got a lot at her doorstep uh, to deal with. Uh, in Canada, lots of mayors have started to really uh, try to figure out what does it mean to do the right to housing at the local level. Uh, mayors in Asia are starting to come on board. So I'm seeing that. National governments as well, adopting legislation, which is exactly what they should do, incorporating mm. the right to housing. So there's movement. There's always a little optimism out there. Good, because we are not boring pessimists we still think that we can change the world and we Mm. can make the world a better place then we can all sing together and we can say kumbaya (laughs) my friend isn't that who we are Uh oh we Uh are the good people (laughs) Uh oh i'm not touching that no no okay (laughs) okay Kumbaya, Frederick, come on. We're going to bore our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Okay, no singing, no singing. I have a question. I have a question. Okay, yeah. How are we doing in terms of our Patreons? Patreon. The Patreons. Patreon is a a website where you can support uh, podcasts. And and we have now a small number of friends uh, donating every month to Pushback Talks. And um, it's not enough uh, to pay for any of our costs yet. But if we could like get 10 times more, it would be a big difference. And I think, uh, you know, we actually got this week two new download countries because I'm a little bit obsessed by that. So we are now... (laughs) We are now in. Have, we now have listeners in eighty-nine countries. Eighty-nine. Can you imagine? Eighty-nine. That's impressive. I think it's I'm, impressive. I'm, I wonder who will be number ninety. So who was but number eighty-nine? I think it was Panama, and before nice. that it was Iran. Very but nice. But it's uh, but it's like also Somalia or 
uh, Algeria yeah. or uh, no. yeah. So cool. it's it's inspiring. I know it's not in the, you're not a huge audience, but but we have people in many countries listening to the pushback talks, and I think the only way to to grow the audience is of course our job to keep talking, but it's also you out there to tell your friends and and tweet about it or Facebook about it. Tell you and and go to. Go to our website, pushthefilm.com. There are tools, there are small videos that you can share if you want to. Uh, so there are different ways to to help us. And of course, to be, a, to be a patron is a very concrete way. Or if you are a member of some, of an NGO that really wants us to, to survive, uh, talk to us and we can find a way to send you an invoice. <laughs> might not happen but uh, I mean if you're sitting on some kind of money we have a desperate need so Miss Special Dr. Uh, Gerton we, we, we can talk about why I call you Dr. Gerton some other time <laughs> yes yeah, Miss Miss Special I think it's it's time to, to say goodbye and wish you a happy dog walking Oh, I thought weekend. you were going to wish me a happy garbage day. <laughs> okay, yeah. Happy, also happy garbage day. And uh, I will, um, I think I will go back home and yeah. then I will wait for my my football team to come up, Malmo. And, and uh, yeah, now That'll give weekend. you some energy. That'll give yes. you some energy. And then, and then we will be prepared to, to meet again. We will meet again, but I hope you're feeling better next week. Yeah, I will do my best. And be good. And ciao, ciao. Bye, Frederick. Bye, Delani. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>